What are you doing? There we go. And we are going to the nation of Israel um, in about five days. We're taking a group. Um, we, um, since 2009, um, every two years we lead a group to Israel. Um, and it's the, it's a bit of a connection in my story, in God's working in my life. Um, uh, 15, 17 years ago, I went to Israel on a backpacking holiday. And um, on the last, um, last week, I went to a youth hostel down south in a place called Elat. And um, I was coming out of the hostel and um, to go for a last walk on the, on the ocean, by the ocean, sorry, at night. And as I came out of the hostel, I went forward, prostrate on the floor. And they thought I was having a heart attack because I don't remember it. Um, but apparently I was on the floor for 45 minutes and then God spoke to my heart and he said, um, I am calling you today to the Jewish people for life. And I'm circumcising your heart. And, um, and the whole, I mean, the rest is history. And God gave me some instructions about what I was to do before I got married. I think when Maria and I met, I shared that story with her. So I went back um, a couple of times more before the Lord really began to speak to us that um, um, my life was to be a bridge to connect the Gentiles with the Jews, and the rest is history. So we've been Great. doing that for a so while. So you're heading to Israel, you're taking a team, a tour, a group at the end of this week for about 10 days? 10 it? days, 10 yeah, days. nine days. Nine days. Eight days. Yeah, we had it booked for ten days, but British Airways cancelled. Oh, British Airways, I'm sorry. <laughs> they cancelled our flight and brought it back by two days. So we normally take for ten days. Yeah, great. Yeah. So Maria, um, welcome to. Um, Thank you. I met with Femi a couple of months ago, and we had coffee, and I heard. Much of his story, um, and I know you figure in it, and since you, you married, but you kind of got married later. When did you know, when did you, where and when did you meet Femi? It was in 2006 in the Amazon. Yeah. And we got married that's, in that's 2007. The, that's, the, that's the forest, not the warehouse, isn't it? <laughs> not exactly. I was a jungle woman, yeah. Yeah, I was in the forest, yeah, literally, yeah, in, in the Amazon in Brazil. Yeah. What were you doing there? I was a missionary, I am still, but there I was working with indigenous tribes, um, the isolated tribes, yeah, so I can't mention any names, as you know, but yeah, I worked there for seven years. How do you get from, how do you get there? I mean, give us a little bit of a backstory of... Okay, it, I'll, I'll start from the beginning, so... I'll be a quick res resume of my Thank story. You. So yeah, I became a Christian in two, uh, I, born, I was born and grew up in a Catholic church, a uh, Catholic family, going to church every Sunday morning, doing my duty, and then enjoy the rest of the week. Don't think about God, don't think about church, you've done your job. That tick box, you know? So when I was 19, I was invited to a wedding. Never liked wedding. Never liked cake, but was the cake promised that made me come to church. My friends, oh, you need to come, we have cake. 
And then I, oh, okay. So I went and I don't know what happened there. I really can't explain. It was just a wedding, a, a, an older couple getting married. And I just wanted to come again on a Sunday. So I said, are you coming again tomorrow? Said, yeah. And from then on, I came to church. I was glued to it. I had no understanding of why. At some point, I realized this is the life I want to follow. So I was 20 at the time. I was just finishing college and was very short, six months within becoming a Christian. God called me into mission. I absolutely had no idea what he was talking about because for me, when I was called, the words used by this preacher that came to visit the church was like God is calling you to build his kingdom. So, of course, being an intelligent person, I thought was to do something with architecture. <laughs> Couldn't be a builder because my frame doesn't help much on that. So I really thought I, I should go to university to study one of those, architecture or anything on that field. But then later on, another man in church gave another word. He called me. He, he preached. I don't remember what was that about. It was a youth meeting on a Saturday night. So he made an altar call. Most people went. Of course, I went as well. And when I was there, he just prayed one by one, everybody that was, and sent them back to their seat. When came to me, he said, you stay. Of course, I was so scared. I thought, oh, my gosh, do I have a demon? What is going to happen here? I was really <laughs> What have I done wrong? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was really worried. What? But anyway, he finished praying for everybody, then came back to me and said, turn to the church. And then, of course, I was kind of trembling a little bit. And then when I looked at the church, he said, church, look at this lady. God is going to take her to places that you don't even know exist. And she... And I, myself, this pastor said, I will be praying for you because you're going to go to dangerous places, but God will be with you all the time. Then, by then was the second word. So just before, in that, what was going through your heart and mind when, when that's been spoken over you? You're kind of sing, singled out? I, I was just like going to places. I always loved traveling. As a child, my dad would, was... <laughs> the president of Alcoholics Anonymous in Brazil, in my, in my area, because there is more than one, of course, it wasn't all over Brazil, but in our area. So I traveled with my dad to every meeting that he went in, in other towns and other cities. I would be with him. Nobody wanted to go with my dad, don't, only me. So we would leave on a Friday after school, like Friday night, come back on a Sunday, and that was my life. I loved traveling. And then when he said, I'll go to place, of course I was happy. I didn't quite understand what he was talking about very much, but I was very happy with the fact that I would travel. So I wasn't scared or anything. I was excited. And then when I sat back on my seat, my friend next to me said, I need to introduce you to IWM. And I said, what is that? So she said, I'll take you there. So she did. We organized. She took me to IWM. And there was an evening course at the time. I joined in. And then after that, there was uh, uh, outreach for DTS. But DTS, most of you know what DTS is? Or? Discipleship yeah. training. Yeah. 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 So I went to, to, to there. But because I had done this course at night, I just went for the outreach. So I didn't do the full DTS. Anyway, and then that was it. I, was, I stayed in YWAM afterwards, and I worked with uh, homeless people, 
adults with children. I worked with, yeah, mainly my, my first, the per first part of my journey in mission was with uh, street people in big cities. I worked in Sao Paulo, Rio, Belo Horizonte. So this were my place. Then in 2000, God clearly told me, go to the Amazon. And then I thought, what am I going to do in the Amazon? And then I heard God first, and then I was just walking by, and then I saw that they had a training for cross-cultural. So I thought, oh, okay, that, that sounds like what going in line with what God is telling me. So I joined that, and then I left YOM, and I joined an organization called Global Recording, and that is where I was working in Amazon. I was doing, I was helping the other missionaries that were translating the Bible or whatever else with recording. So it made their life easier and the gospel go faster. So that was my role, recording the gospel. Not only the gospel, we recorded basic things like healthcare, materials, math, teaching uh, Portuguese for, because they have their own languages and stuff like that. And yeah, that was my... So at the moment, we've got Femi in Israel, face down, hearing a call, and you're in Brazil and in serving the Lord through YWAM and helping yeah. the gospel spread. How, how, does, how do you end up in the Amazon, Femi? Give us a little backstory to, to what okay. takes you there. Okay, um, so I, I was born in London, but my parents are originally from Nigeria. And um, very earlier on in my walk with God, I served because I'm very passionate about the local church. So for 13 years, I served as a youth pastor, and then I served in the student movement for seven years. I loved that generation, connected with that generation, and, <clears throat> and I was involved in intercession and all that stuff. Um, but I never had a heart for missions. Um, I, my, my first church was a Baptist church, um, and it, we had two missionaries that we supported in our church, and every time they came back home on a furlough, they looked miserable, they looked broke, <laughs> and the church didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> so I made a pact with God, I'll give them money, but just don't call me to that life. <laughs> right? I had no desire for missions, no desire for traveling. But one Sunday, you know, after all my work in the local, I just wanted to serve in the local church and do nothing else. And we had a, uh, a speaker who came in, uh, apparently was a prophet, and so he called people to the front and, and um, began to prophesy. And then he got to me and he said, God is going to use you in the nations. You're going to go to dangerous places and all that. And I, and I had my eyes closed. So when he finished speaking this over me, I literally took his hand off my head, and then I put it on the hand of Tony, who's my friend. <laughs> this is really bad. So I said, You can have that blessing. Yeah, yeah, and I said, You're spot on, but you had your eyes closed. This is the person. <laughs> because Tony had a half a mission and he wanted to be a missionary. And I'm thinking, You've got the prophecy, but you got the wrong person. And I remember the guy turning around and saying, are you, receiving pro are you rejecting prophecy? And I said, no, I'm just saying it's not mine. Um, 
I was in my second year in university studying to be an eye specialist, and it was just the last thing on my mind. And, um, but that was part, part of the journey for me, um, of when God began to really plant the seed, but the seed started much earlier, but I was just running away from it. And of course, I went on to qualify and, and worked in the NHS for 18 years. But during that 18 years in the NHS, I did um, what you would call short-term missions. So I would go up and take a year out and go and serve God in um, different places around the world. And during those early years, God um, uh, asked me to go and serve a man called David Cowie. And he said, you're to go and serve that man onto further notice. So he's my spiritual father. He still is. And I served him for eight years in different places around the world. And one of those places is a nation that I can't mention um, where, anyway, we can talk about that story later on. But um, in you, all you, of this, so in, in Maria's story, when, she, when we met and she started telling me a story, she had a heart for traveling. There was this word that came to confirm the word of the Lord for her. For me, it was a more zigzag journey because I was running away from God and um, in the life of faith. Um, but, hmm? and uh, so for me, it's, it's been a journey for me. It's not been a straightforward boom, 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 um, yeah. So that's taking you to Africa? And that taking me to Africa. So I worked with um, Heidi Baker for a while. Um, and, and she gave a word over my life as well, and prophesied and said I needed to come and work with her. But um, the Lord didn't want that. Then I served in, um, in South Africa, in Nigeria, and a few other countries in Africa. Then I went on to the South Pacific and served God there. And um, it was then when I was in the Pacific uh, nations in the Philippines um, in places like Vanuatu that God asked me to come back home to set up an organization called Blessed to be a Blessing. And that's another story. Um, but for me, the journey has been, um, I had, I don't know whether you've heard this concept called tent making. I had a tent making kind of journey in my faith where I worked uh, as, an, uh, as an orthoptist, which is like a vision therapist in the UK. And I just came home, worked, raised enough money, and then went back out for a year, sometimes two years. And so during one of those sabbaticals of going out for two years, um, my spiritual father asked me to go to the Amazon to help set up a ministry center for them. And that's where I met Maria, because she was translating all the materials, all the medical stuff that was doing. Um, in the Amazon, um, in several villages in the Amazon, a lot of people were going blind from a disease and nobody knew where it was coming from. So David Cowie, my spiritual father, sent me there to go and trace the disease, find what is causing the blindness and, and help the people to turn around in the way that they live their lives. And we found the disease and tracked it down and then the rest is history because Maria translated for me and, and during the course of the translation, another translation took place. 
rest is history. That's lovely to hear. Um, just as a little side, aside I, for either of you, I remember as I worked, uh, first time I went to India and I was in a, in a slum, taken to a slum, and as is the nature often in India, they said, oh, Edward, you're preaching. And this was like three minutes before the start. And I was like, and it was a, the sun was setting and it was that kind of hot Indian evening. And there was a drunk man on a tractor and there were some little huts. And it was kind of hostile. And I, th- and I remember kind of saying to myself, I have no idea what I say here. What do I say? Because I'm kind of like, first time in India, Western. Like, what, what do I say? How do I preach in this context? And I remember the Lord saying to me really clearly in those moments, if the gospel, doesn't mean, if the gospel means anything, it works here as well as with you. How did you find connecting with the gospel in the Amazon, in, in unreached tribes? What did you find brought a difference to life there? Yeah, I think what everybody, even here, everywhere, people have a longing for God, that even though they don't know sometimes that this God, what they are looking for. So one of the things that I saw in many tribes is that they, they are worshipping something. They are looking for something to worship. So when we come... We try to, at least that is our perspective, we try to find what is the thing that we have in common here so we can connect. So there was one tribe, one specific tribe, that they had this thing that they liked to paint themselves in red. And uh, so that is, is when they are uh, repented, they paint, them, paint them, themselves in red. So we said, oh, why is that? And, and they said, oh, it's because... Uh, we did something wrong and we need something to clean us. So we paint in red and then I, that is a good connection. Mm. The blood of Jesus. So I say, you know, Jesus, because they have a, everywhere you go, there is some connection with God, even if they think that the sun is the God or whatever that is. We can always connect. So, you know, the creator, they, he, he, he didn't like the, the, the dirty the sin, or sin is a word that they don't know what it is, but of course you need to find a word that connects. Mm-hmm. And, and then we could connect that, the painting in red with the blood of Jesus. And in that tribe, many came to faith because they, they realized, oh, so God likes red. Mm-hmm. It's not that he likes red like that. He, it's the blood that was shed is red. And then if, if you mm-hmm. see blood is red. So there are Everywhere there is something to connect. So God give us in different, in different environment, different strategies. So thankfully that is the thing that every human being has, is the longing for God, isn't it? Absolutely. So for Maria did a lot of work with languages. She's actually quite gifted with languages. Yes, she is. Um, but for me, the first thing that connected me with people on the mission field was uh, I have a heart for the poor, Uh, but not for the poor in the way that I want to give them money to become dependent on me. Uh, I have a heart to see people lifted out of poverty and turned around to become self-sufficient. So um, when you show kindness, a very simple act of kindness to a person, it can open up their heart to Jesus. 
So I'll tell you a story that was really, uh, really touched my life. So in a certain nation, um, an Islamic nation, um, uh, a pastor in England um, tracked me down because he knew that I was an eye specialist. And he said, would you help us? Because there's a four-year-old girl in this village, in this nation, that needs, um, we think she needs an operation. So I said, okay, I asked the Lord, and then a group of people from my church and several churches gave an offering, um, and, um, but then the Lord said, you didn't seek my face about why, why has this pastor come for you, specifically for you? Because there are many people in the UK that are involved in, in reaching out to the poor in different nations around the world. So I, I asked the Lord about this, and he said, you should find out more about the family. So I contacted the, the pastor from the UK and said, you know, can you tell me more about the family? And then he told me that all three girls were blind um, from the same disease. And um, the older one, um, Rahina, uh, was at the time 13 years old. And she only goes out at night to use the toilet. Um, and um, I don't have a picture here, but she's quite dark skinned. So she had cataracts. But the cataract was so dense that her eyes were actually white. So they thought she had a demon. So for, for nine years out of the 13 years, she was isolated from my, from my village. And uh, I come in by the grace of God, we raised the money, and all three girls have cataract surgery and get their sight back. But I, I, I never met them, we just, transferred the money, got a doctor out there to do the operation and teach another doctor how to do the operation. And two years later, I went to that country for another, with a team um, from, from the UK. And when I arrived in the village of Kwaratege, um, in this nation, there were hundreds of people around our team. But this man grabbed my hand and began to pull my shirt and began to speak in a language. So security came around me thinking that he was trying to mob me. And, but he pushed by security physically and got to me and started speaking in Hausa, which is uh, one of the Islamic -like languages, right? In this nation, you can there are many nations that speak Hausa. And um, so I said, just translate, what is he saying? He was crying. What is he saying and stuff? And then the translator came and began to explain to me, and now everybody's calmed down. And he said, um, uh, he said, many missionaries have come to this village um, to, to share Jesus with my people. But I've met Jesus today. And I said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you don't know me. I said, I don't know who you are. And he said, you give sight to my daughters, three daughters, two years ago. And I said, I've never met you. He said, I know your photo. He kept my photo. And um, this is where the story gets interesting. He said, you gave dignity back to my, to my girls. They, now, they were now going to school. Um, and he said, I have met Isa, and I've given my life to him. What we didn't know 
was that he was the local imam and the highest ranking in that village. And he turned his life to Jesus just by an act of kindness from a bunch of people in the UK that would never meet that man. Um, amazing story. So that's one of the things that God really uses in my life uh, is my connection with the poor. It just opens up their heart to receive the Messiah. That's Brilliant. my connection. Wonderful. You've mentioned a couple of times in both your stories before you met and um, and I know since of that seeking the Lord, of hearing the Lord. Tell us a little bit more about, about that, maybe some examples of, of how and when you've heard specifically, and how that happens, how to get better at that as a, as a disciple. Um, we, we have this thing called everything rises and falls at the place of prayer. I, I would say that I, I, I love praying, um, and... Um, in all, you know, because you can do a lot of charity works. The nation of Britain is known through history as a very kind um, and hospitable nation. We have a whole department just giving money to nations that are struggling. Um, so a lot of people can go out and give money and, and do all those things and, and touch people who are in need. Um, but for me, it's not enough. I need to capture the heart of God. Um, so seeking God's heart is a huge part of our walk with God. We're not just doing charity. Um, I want to know, God, what is it that, that you have called me to be to this person? Not just um, to give out um, help that you know, relieve people out of the suffering of poverty. Um, but what is it that, what have you called me to, to base in my life? Not just in terms of missions, but in every area of our lives. The pursuing of the presence of God, of the heart of God. Why did you create me? Why did you bring me uh, into this world? Um, whether it's even in marriage, in seeking God about who you marry, we sought God together. Um, uh, God, uh, I don't like to use God's name to to push through my agenda, but we found out much later on that God led us together. Um, and we sought the face of God uh, before we got married. We needed to know the heart of God. It wasn't just the love thing and the romantic thing because that's just not good enough for marriage. Um, it's the heart of God that we seek God um, on a regular basis in our lives through uh, in our personal walk with God, through prayer and fasting, um, in all the nations that we go to, we ask God first, and then we we, we go to those nations. And, and uh, in fact, one of the stories that led me to a particular nation in the past was on a Saturday morning. Um, I used to do this. Um, I would just go to bed at around 7 o'clock, and I would wake up at 11 p.m., and I would pray to 4 o'clock in the morning. And I did this for seven years about three, four times a year. And one of those Saturday mornings, I was, I was in my, this is before I got married, I was in my apartment, and, and I know, I just want to tell this story, and I, you can test it in the scriptures and see if it's consistent, because some people may find this quite difficult to believe. But I was in my apartment, and I was seeking the face of God, because I, I just really needed to go to know what God was asking me about my life. 
and um, it, I was lying on the carpet. I'm just going to tell you. I was lying on the carpet and I saw the picture of a young girl. She had blue jeans on and brown t-shirt. I remember this very vivid. And she spoke in a language to me. And when she spoke in that language, I've never heard of that language before. I knew she said, come and give my people bread. That's all I know. I remember her speaking. I didn't realize I was having a vision because I remember getting up and thinking, what are you doing in my room, in my living room? A little kid, brown t-shirt, blue jeans. So I got out of this scary thing that took um, probably 30 minutes and she spoke to me this language. It was on a Saturday morning. It affected me all day. On Sunday morning, I went to church as normal. And um, there was a, an elderly couple, an English couple. They've been praying for me now for 20 years. I went to them after the church service. I said, the Lord asked you to pray for me. And as they prayed for me, I went down on the floor. Then I had another encounter on the floor. And during that encounter, my pastor said I began to cry like a pregnant woman that was giving birth. The whole experience lasted for about 14 minutes, but I thought it was five minutes. And I saw my body leave the room. My pastor had the hand on my head. There were people on the platform still playing worship towards the end. But my body left the room and I went through the ceiling. And and I'm thinking, why am I looking at myself lying down on the floor? People are praying for me, right? And I went on this journey for what I thought was three, five minutes. And I went through um, mountains and fields and land, saw myself in this open field and began to see very graphic images, went through villages and islands. And, and I saw some things that I, don't really want to say here because of young children. Very disturbing images. And then I came back into the room and, and then I saw my pastor with a, um, an handkerchief, uh, like a face, a flannel, face towel, putting cold face towel on my face because I was sweating apparently. And then, and then Mary Coppo, my pastor, and then they said to me, what happened? And I said, I don't know, I left the room. And then they said, what do you mean you left the room? You've been here for the last 45 minutes. And I went, 45 minutes? Are you out of your mind? Right? But during that entire 45 minutes, I saw very vivid places in this nation. I remember some of the villages and um, so I told my pastor what had happened on the floor and the day before on the Saturday morning. And the Lord, sorry, my pastor said to me, have you been watching BBC? And I said, no. And then he said, this is what is going on in these countries. They're massacring 10,000 Christians every month. And I said, well, I'm supposed to go there. And then my pastor said, you need help. Are you out of your mind? But it was very vivid. And um, I knew the name of the street. 
I knew the color of the church building, the color of the door. I knew the name of the girl. And I told my pastor, if I have your blessing, I will go. And my pastor, over a period of about two, three weeks, I met with the leadership of our church and they, they released me to go. <laughs> when I got to, we had to go through, I had to go through Singapore um, airport to get to this nation. When I got to Singapore airport, I wrote on a postcard um, a letter to my parents. And I said, I am going to this country and if I don't come back alive, my pastors did not talk me into this. This is the Lord that asked me to do this, and I love Jesus, and, but my past, I just wanted to take that weight off my past because they were feeling really heavy about this. And then somebody gave me a telephone number. My spiritual father gave me a telephone number of somebody they had met 10 years before. So at Singapore airport, when I was waiting for my four, four hours layover, I made this phone call to this person that my spiritual father said, I don't even know whether this person is still alive. So I called this number and I said, my name is Femi Oni. I'm a missionary from England. And God has told me to come to your nation. And then she said, we're waiting for you. You're a tall black man from England. God told us to pick you up at the airport tomorrow at 9 a.m. I had never met them, never spoken to them in my life. So I am shaking on the phone by this time, thinking, excuse me? And he said, yes, we've been waiting for you, and we know where you're going. So they met me at the airport, put me in a bus for 27 hours, hit me in a bus, took me to this village in this country. I got there at 1 o'clock preached the gospel, many people got saved, and then I got back on the bus at five o'clock and drove back <laughs> to the airport of this country and then flew back to England. The only thing that they told me at the airport is that you must not tell the British people which nation and our people because our lives will be endangered. All that came, that experience came. Oh, by the way, I found the church the church exactly as it was. The cross was written, was drawn in black, and it was a blue door made of wooden, painted blue, but it was wooden. Um, I found the girl, came into the church service at two o'clock in the morning. She was wearing a brown t-shirt and blue jeans. Everything I saw in the vision six weeks before came to pass. That tribe, I, we had to go through a village um, to get to this tribe in this nation, in this nation. and um, many times God would wake up because it was 27 hours I was hidden in the bus. Um, I remember one of the, um, uh, how do I explain this because I'm on camera, one of the um, fanatists, fanatics, then you use that word, came on board on the bus because we had to stop somewhere to get petrol refuel. They came on board the bus and they're looking for the tall black English man and I'm standing there, sitting, just standing, sitting on the chair with my passport in my hands and I said, I'm here. And he's shouting at the driver, 
He turned the driver in the face, saying that, where's the black man? I'm thinking, I'm right here. <laughs> I'm thinking, this is crazy, right? How I got through, God brought me back alive, and all I had to say to this couple in, this, in the capital city before they left me at the airport is that thank you for coming and bringing encouragement to our people was that I just didn't have to mention the name of the nation or the village that I went to. But the presence of God fell in that church at one o'clock in the morning. It was so thick. I've never seen anything like it. Um, and the Lord said, you have four minutes to preach. After four minutes, I strongly advise you to hide behind the pulpit. That's what I did. Because when I finished speaking after four minutes, I hid behind the pulpit because the presence of God felt so strong that even the past, the, the guy who was translating for me, he said, I think we're going to die because we've seen the glory of God. It was amazing. And this is just in response to what you're asking me. This is the heart of God. It's not because I'm a special person, um, but because I have closer access to God. It's just the pursuant of the presence of God and seeking God. It's central to how we raise our kids, how we live our lives for God. Um, and we have interns who have come in part of our, of, of our work here. They know this, that prayer is a huge part of how we live our lives. And so it's, it's, a, it's important. It is everything most rise and fall at the place of prayer. Um, it's important for us. So a question, you, you both said in your call, the Lord's going to take you to dangerous places. You've explained one. Have you ever thought it's too much? And if what sustains you in that obedience? <laughs> anyway, uh, I... Yes, I, I have... I have... <laughs> I, when the Lord began, when I realized the call of God in my life, um, I, I said to the Lord, I will do whatever you say. I just want you to protect my kids and my wife. That's why we don't have any account on social media. We don't have Facebook, WhatsApp. Um, and I want to say this to you as a church. This is the first time um, in probably 15 years that I come to church and I can just sit at the back and receive. Um, in our general walk with God, I, I, I've given a lot and, um, and sometimes, and because part of the call of God in our life is not just to serve God, but to be a child of God and to be a man and woman of God. And when we came to Jishman County Church last year, I sat at the back and I went to God. I just don't want the spotlight. I just want to come to church and just be a child again. And so I'm thinking, some, somehow somebody's going to approach me and put me on the spotlight. But it's never happened. It's been refreshing to be a member of a church. Um, do I have um, 
struggle with the life that I live? Yes. But I, wanna, I just want to say something. For many years I taught from the pulpit as well that God calls us to a radical life. I don't know if I can say that anymore. Because in the boat, when Jesus saw his disciples in the, in the boat and he was walking on water, Jesus never said to Peter, Peter, come. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, beat me I to come. So I think you can choose a radical life. God doesn't pick a person in the room and say, you are the special one that needs to live this life. I don't have any biblical basis for that in scripture. For most of us, we have to choose that life. But sometimes it comes with a cost. Um, and that cost can be financial. For us, is that we remove ourselves from every form of platform that promotes our work. Even for Maria, um, we just come to a place in our walk with God where we know that half of what we do is just not in the public domain. We can't raise finances, we can't raise support because we can't tell people what we do in some of the places that we worked in, in our lives. And we know that um, there is no platform for promoting us uh, in what we do because some of the places that we've been to, we can't talk about those people's stories. So yes, it has, it has cost us. But it's a cost that God has given us the grace to. It's interesting that when I, when I got married, oh, just before getting married, I came to visit, to meet Femi's family. He was in Brazil when we met. So he yes. met my family eventually. And then, but we didn't, we didn't get engaged or anything before both had met families, you know, because, you know, you marry the family, not only the person. So I remember that I went to Femi's first church in London, Kensington Temple, and I was there, and of course I was very confused. Lord, I, I, okay, I'm, I want to marry Femi, but what about my ministry? Because for me it was an important thing. I loved the Amazon. I really did. Something that I, I grew up in a city, you know, and then when I was able to live in the Amazon, in the jungle, lovely. There were hardship, don't get me wrong. The, some of my worst days in life I, met, I had there, but I loved it. And so one thing that I, I was in the church today and I was asking God, how oh, it's going to be, my ministry, what I'm going to do? Because all that I knew is that if I marry Femi, I need to move to this country. And the cold put me off a bit <laughs> because I came here in April. And for my joy, it snowed. <laughs> I don't like snow. I am Brazilian. <laughs> and so anyway, I was there and I was asking God. And God told me something that before, I, a problem that I didn't have before. He said, first of all, when you marry Femi, your ministry is to fall families, fall, follow Femi's call. So you can park up your ideas of reaching the world. 
know, it's not in your domain anymore. You, you, your call is to follow Femi. That is your first call now. And one, another thing that he said that I was like, mm, this is not very exciting. He said, you will, will bridge, build the kingdom as I told you before you got married, before you met Femi, you build the kingdom, but you not have human recognition. You can forget about that. Whatever you do, you must remember that you're doing it for me because you are going to never have human recognition. And of course, I was happy with that. Of course, I want to, I'm a, I'm a humble person. <laughs> but you know, one thing is not having human recognition. Another thing is in bash down. That one I don't like. So, but of course, part of my new life is being bashed down sometimes, having people that don't understand what we do, why we do, and instead of building, unfortunately in the church, instead of building us up, they, they are trying to find things to put us down. So I had to go through that for a number of years too. I, I realized, yeah, God already told me about that, so why am I bothered? I just need to live for God, love God's people because they are part of me, I'm part of them, we are one, and even if they don't understand my language, I can, I can just love them the same way. So talk time, that for me was the biggest challenge. My challenge is not going, I can go anywhere because I like traveling, I still do don't do as much of that anymore, but I still do that, love that. But it's knowing that uh, it's not only that I will not be recognized for what I do, but I will be sometimes, many times criticized the way I do things. Mm -hmm. So I had to come to terms with that and, and accept that that's it. It's part of the goal. I'm conscious of time and there's so much more to story, but you, you ended up in Israel serving for how long was that? And just tell us a briefly, and then how are you here? Okay, so we, we, we married in 20, 2007, and um, met in, like, we met in the Amazon, but I had a very clear word through a place of prayer that after the Amazon, I was to go to Jerusalem and serve God there for a year. So, <laughs> when Maureen and I uh, realized that this that the Lord had blessed our relationship and was married. I, I said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Um, and she said, okay, I'm not quite sure what that means. And I, then I went, that's when I explained to her what had happened to me in, in the southern part of Israel when I came five years before back, back in. So we uh, arrived in Jerusalem with 20 pounds in our, in our bank account no place to stay, no place to stay, no accommodation, nothing. Just put a 20 pounds in a bank account. That's a long story that I don't, we don't really have time. No. <laughs> but through miracles after miracles, God eventually found us. We landed in an apartment with a Jewish woman that has now become the Jewish grandmother to our kids. Um, and we lived in Jerusalem for a year. I had a heart for the Jewish people. Maria had a heart for the Palestinians. I had heart for no one in that nation, to be fair. <laughs> I had My heart was still in the Amazon, so I must be honest on that. Mm -hmm. I came and I didn't like the Jews. 
So that is the point of it. I, I, I connected slightly better with the Arabs. Right. So well, when we arrived in Jerusalem, within two months of arriving, the Lord did a switch. So God planted Maria with the Jewish people, started working in a bookshop that reaches out to Israeli. And then the Lord planted me in, a, in an Arab-Palestinian hospital. And I said to God, you got this the wrong way around. You give her the Palestinian, and I get the Jews. That's the way it's supposed to work. And the Lord said unto you, understand the suffering of the people of Palestine, the Palestinian people. You will never understand the conflict in Israel. That was a shock for us. That was a turning point for us. So we came back home. She came back home every day, and she got the Jewish side of the story. I came back home with the Palestinian, and we fought. It's amazing that we still have a marriage. <laughs> we just fought. So we had conflict. And, and after six months, then we realized that ah, we've become part of the problem. And I began to study the scriptures, and the rest is history. So we have this belief called the newborn, new man theology, which means that in Christ, in Yeshua, there is no Greek or Gentile. There is no Jew or Gentile, no Greek, no male or female, no Palestinian or Jew. We are all one in Jesus, and it's transformed our lives. And so we finished our time and worked with both groups of people, came back home to England, and uh, got, uh, got our first child, um, and that's another story we can talk, uh, talk about another time. But our first child passed away at the age of six months old. It was a very painful journey for us, but we recovered by the grace of God. Didn't think we could have any more kids. And then Joy showed up. I'm just wrapping this up because of time. God showed up miraculously. They weren't expecting her. And then Noah showed up. And then when Noah was just still in the womb, four months in the home, God called us back to Jerusalem. And then we waited for Noah to be born. And then we went and lived there for a year and worked again in some interesting places that I don't want to go into details about. I've captured the heart of Israel, the heart of God for Israel in a more um, holistic way. Uh, some of the things that you see in the, in the media is just propaganda. It's more complicated than that. A lot more complicated than that. But anyway, we were enjoying our time in Jerusalem, the second time with our kids. That's when God dropped what we call the bombshell. At least for us, we thought it was a bombshell. Maria, with all of her work in the Amazon, working with street, uh, on the streets with, with the poor, my work with the people in, in Israel, and collective work and all that stuff, working in all those things. <laughs> we got a word from God, and he said, I'm calling you back home to your own people to be a missionary amongst the, amongst the nation of the United Kingdom. I thought, what? <laughs> no, 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 the UK doesn't need missionaries. I, 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 God, you got this wrong way around. Jerusalem needs us. Who's gonna go to England when I have an opportunity to serve in Jerusalem? I was shocked. And I told Maria, Maria said, eh, this is a joke. And I said, no. This is what is this place of prayer again? And I said, God, I don't want to go back to the UK. It's so boring. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and the Lord was very specific. He said, You will go and live in rural England amongst the people. 
you will live, you will, you will plant, and you will raise family amongst to remind them of who they are. It was, I just felt, we, I said to, when we arrived here four and a half years ago, Maria told me, I think we sinned against God. We are under judgment. <laughs> because it was like, what? Right? Remember England? And then we arrived, everything was expensive. And the property that we had bidded for, the, the house fell three, four, fell through four days before we arrived. Um, we had strange things on our doorsteps. We now know where they come from. And we couldn't sleep through the night for the first six months we got here. We got woken up at 1.30 every morning and we couldn't go back to, to bed until, until 4.30. We were in bed, but we couldn't go back we to sleep. We couldn't go back to sleep, sorry. We didn't know the reason why and it went on for six months until the Spirit of God, one day, I was just tired. We had young children. And I said, God, we can't keep going like this. Three hours, just not sleeping through the night. And the Lord said, The, the people who are putting a curse on you, they live across that field. Yeah. We had never, we heard these things in, Af in Africa, in Asia, but we never think that these things are alive in the United Kingdom. And we did some prayer and we dealt with that. I don't want to talk about what that is. Uh, we can talk about it all day. But we dealt with that. And literally that night, we have slept all night since then for three years in a row. We've never had problems sleeping. And that's when we knew that God had called us here to remind this nation that it was once a mission-sending nation, to remind this nation that it was once a nation that sought after God, to remind this nation that it was a nation that embraced family, marriage, and passed on the, the teachings of the scriptures to their children and their children's children. And um, it's, it's been a learning curve for us, a real steep learning curve for us to be back in England as missionaries. But we are grateful to God. We have no intention of leaving. I've said to all our support, we lost half of our support as missionaries because people said this was not God and for us to come here. But we know that this is the Lord um, because of all the things that has come against us since we came here. We also have been, because we are here now, Maria was saying that we travel less. We're here now so people can come to us. So we have at the back there just some really wonderful people, young people from different places around the world, and they come for internships. And we, teach them the life of faith, we help them to walk with God again, to seek God again. To hear God. To hear God, yeah. And um, we are blessed with Tash and Jacob, a married couple from New Zealand. Tash is from Australia, and Jacob is from New Zealand. They've just come and joined us in the last one year, and they're helping us to run our internship to help people to hear God, seek God. We are really um, grateful to God that we can do this. Of course we still travel and we're still involved in a lot of international work. But it's our journey now is that we are called by God to remind Britain again that this was once a Christian nation.
to love God and sought his face. That's why I'm here. And part of the reason why I can do what I can do is because there were spiritual fathers and mothers that came and invested in this nation. And I stand on their shoulders. So I'm coming back home to remind my people, my land, called the United Kingdom, that we were once a nation that feared God and sought the face of God. That's my heart. That's my heart, and we're settled with that. If this is what God wants for the rest of our life, we're settled with this. Thank you so much. I'd love it if you could pray into some of those things for us. Um, we've touched on hearing from God that it's a birthright of every believer to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd, um, to hear his voice and distinguish it from the others. So perhaps you could pray for us as a church that so we grow in that. Yeah. But also in that kind of call that you followed for us as we have a heart for mission here, but to, to pray that would keep being stirred. Yeah. And obviously those, those sentiments you've just echoed about this nation would just be really great. If you could both pray into those, that would be... Yes, Lord, we, we are so thankful to know that you are our daddy and we can hear your voice. Your voice is all around us, Lord, but sometimes we are so distracted, we are so preoccupied with so many other things that we miss what you're saying. So, Lord, I pray that each one of us will draw closer to you, draw closer to, to the, the source of our life. Thank you, Lord, that you never stopped speaking to us. Even when we are so deaf sometimes spiritually, you keep calling our name. You, you know each one of us mm. by name, and you call our names, Lord. So I pray that today that, that um, connection that may be slightly off-tuned, that the Holy Spirit will tune it in us, and that we, we will be able to, to listen to your voice, to hear what you're speaking, because you never stopped. Yes. Lord, give us a more desire for your word, the word of God that is there for us, and that is your voice to us as well, Lord. Help us to be so connected to it that we know the different voices that play up in our minds. I know sometimes, I remember, Lord, so many times that there was thoughts that I thought was you, but when I checked it up with the, the word of God, the Bible, it didn't match, so I knew it wasn't you. But so many other times, I heard it in my spirit, I heard it in my heart, and when I went for confirmation, your word was just there to confirm. So help us to be so uh, uh, hungry for your word in, in studying it so we know when it's you speaking or not, Lord. Help us to draw closer to you daily in, in giving time to listen to your voice, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you because we know that you are the God who speaks. You don't hide from us. Thank you, Jesus, that when you died on the cross, the scripture says that the curtains were torn into two, signifying that we can come straight into the Holy of Holies. This morning before the sun rose on the United Kingdom, you spoke. You spoke, Lord Jesus, you spoke on our behalf in the presence of the Father. We submit to you. 
you said in your word that you are the good shepherd and we are the sheep and you said the sheep hears your voice and they follow you so we make a proclamation tonight that we submit to the voice we submit to the voice of the shepherd Lord in any way that in our hearts and with our tongue that we've cursed our lives by saying we can't hear from you then we ask you forgive us because we can hear from you because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us we can hear you we undo the words that we have spoken over our lives over the lives of our children over our nation that we can't hear you anymore we say we're sorry and we ask you forgive us and we undo what we have done with our tongue and we say we can hear you our ears are open to you father our ears are open to you we are wired to hear from you because we are welcome in your house because of what Jesus has done for yeah. us so help us Holy Spirit to learn to walk with you and follow into, and follow you into the heart of the Father yes. into the throne room of God in Jesus name Amen thank you for Femi and Maria for the things they've shared I just wonder if there's someone here who's, who just kind of feels a, a kind of heartache or a, a, just a, a quickening uh, of their spirit that the Lord is stirring you. Um, would you let us know who you are later? Before you go, we'd love to pray with you. But thank you for, for this couple's faithfulness, for their tenacity, for their heart to, to obey your word and keep them hearing you. Keep them growing in you. Keep them in their ministry, provided for in, in every need. You know it, Lord. Whether it's provision of an accommodation in Jerusalem when it seems impossible or the other miraculous ways. And may their time amongst us here in this rural part of the country bring, as you've put on the heart, renewal and revival and a recommitment and a, a, um, waves, echoes, uh, that would stir in this land to call us back to a deeper faith in you, Lord. We do ask that again there would be a renewal, a revival, an era again that is, is full of the Spirit and the honoring of Jesus. And may we play our part. And we choose your ways. Amen. Amen.